This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. We're going we're to give this one take. If it works, you can use it. And if it doesn't, then we'll try it again some other time. You ready? I, I want to hear it. Do it. see that i was dancing yes <laughs> perfect hello and welcome to episode oh my god 43 of the duke basketball report podcast it is tuesday january 26th 2016 i am your host this week sam klein checking tell everyone what that was tell everyone what that was but that was me on the mandolin playing devil with the blue dress did you not could you not tell that if, if tell. you couldn't if you couldn't tell, we really should cut it out. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I mean, you need to. You need the people to know who had done that because I did not want to take. There's no way I'm going to take credit for that. That was brilliant, oh, that was, my friend. I didn't do that. So thank there was you. My, uh, so, so the the best thing about me trying to put together the Duke songs um, on the mandolin is so I, I've been um, taking lessons, um, and my instructor is a University of Kansas fan. Um, he wears a lot of University of Kansas apparel, and I haven't brought it up to him yet that A, I'm a Duke fan, and that B, in addition to like learning all the like um, like folk melodies that he's teaching me, um, that I'm also doing this like on the side. Um, so if you guys like want to hear it, like I'm a little bumblebee, uh, I can also play that, but it's not it's not as relevant to this show. You know what I mean? No, no. Hey, I want to no. say that was that was a great pick me up. At a time when we need to be picked up. <laughs> well, let's. Uh, we'll, we'll get into it. Um, as I as I was trying to say, um, this is Sam Klein uh, checking in from Denver. I am joined uh, by two strangers on the internet uh, today from uh, Washington D.C. Digging himself out of the snowdrifts, Donald Wine. Uh, there's still a lot of snow outside, but uh, they it will be melted by the warmth that you just provided on the mandolin. Oh, thank you. And uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, where I don't think they got a lot of. Uh, High hail and ice and storm, um, but uh, perhaps it's still cold. Jason Evans, uh, it's actually not that cold. I think it was about fifty-five or so today. Hey, we got last week though. We got a solid 
quarter or an eighth of an inch, the entire city shut down. No one had any bread or butter or anything like that in the stores. The milk was all gone because in Atlanta, if they just even talk about the possibility of an eighth of an inch, people go insane. Yeah. Um, so that's that's not like where Donald and I live. Uh, and I'm sorry no. that that you live in such a deprived place. Uh, however, <laughs> you do live in a place you do live in a place where Duke is going to be playing a basketball game next week. Uh, so that's, that's true. an exciting thing. Before we get to the road ahead, we have to unfortunately uh, talk about the road that's behind us, which since the last time we talked involves one Duke win and two Duke losses, one Ugh. at home to uh, Syracuse, 64 to 62, and one last night on the road at Miami, 80 to 69. A Miami team, by the way, that this year is extremely talented. Uh, and in between those two games was actually an away win at NC State. We talked about what a tough place it is for Duke to play at NC State in Raleigh. Uh, and Duke managed a, a pretty comfortable win, sort of, uh, you know, going away in the second half and winning 88 to 78. So I'll start with Jason. Um, I guess you can kind of talk about all three of these games. They, they all provided slightly different glimpses. Uh, but what did you see? What do you think, I guess, will we can each address this. What do you think is the main problem with Duke right now? And how do you think Coach K is, is going to try to solve it? Well, I can give you a one-letter answer. Um, or I can give you a longer answer. The one-letter answer is D. Duke's yeah. defense is, Duke's, Duke's defense is, is very, very poor. Um, I think that... I think that Coach K for years and years and decades and decades was used to having guys who were in his program for a long time and he could teach them how to play man-to-man -man defense. And it took time to learn how to play man-to-man -man defense the way Coach K wanted you to. But by the time you were, you know, an experienced sophomore or certainly a junior or a senior, you knew how to do it. And Duke was a great defensive team. And that was the hallmark of what Duke basketball was, um, uh, you know, all the way the 80s, the 90s and and into a fair portion of the 2000s. But um, that's not been the hallmark of what Duke basketball has been in recent years. Even though we played great defense down the stretch last year to win our national title, even though we played great defense in, you know, when Kyle Singler and Nolan Smith and John Shire and those guys were there, um, the past few years it has not been the hallmark. And this year, Duke's probably, um, Duke may be the worst, it's, it's probably the worst defensive team that we've seen from a Duke team. Uh, I mean, the story of the Miami game to me was every time it felt like we sort of fought our way back into the game, um, they would reel off a, a couple baskets, two, three, sometimes four baskets in a row. Um, and, and they scored them fairly easily. It, it wasn't, it didn't feel to me like Miami was working super hard. I mean, they got a ton of assists that led to a ton of easy shots, easy, um, easy buckets. Um, I, I want to give you guys the stat that to me, sums up the game more than it's not a stat it's a series of stats at the five minute and 28 second mark 528 left in the game and it was still a game it was a five-point game jaquan uh newton missed a shot for miami i want you to remember that that he missed that shot um uh mp3 got the rebound and duke went down and, and had a chance to make it even closer because after that point from the five minute and 28 second mark until the end of the basketball game miami did not have a single time they touched the basketball and failed to score a point 11 possessions in a row, 11 possessions in a row, and they scored on every single one of them. There were two of those possessions where they got fouled and they missed one of two free throws, but at least they scored some points. It is impossible to come from behind. Um, it's impossible to win a ball game, um, uh, you know, when you're in a tight ball game, when your opponent scores on 11 possessions in a row at the at down the end of the game. It's, you know, it, it just doesn't happen. 
so so that's the Miami game to me. The other thing I want to mention about the Miami game is that um, how much does Angel Rodriguez love playing Duke? If, if Angel Rodriguez played Duke every game in his career, dude would be like top five pick in the NBA draft. I don't know, Do you guys remember what he did to us last year? Oh, he destroyed us last year in 20, Cameron. Yeah, 24 points, four rebounds, five steals, five assists. This year he only got 13 points, although he got most of them in the first half, and he was the reason in the first half they had a lead on us and they had such confidence. But he got a, a career-high 11 assists against us. And this is – we're not talking about a guy who scores big points or gets big assists. I mean, he, he averages 11 points per game. He averages three assists per game. He put up 11 assists against us. Last year, he put up 24 points against us. Angel Rodriguez lives to play against Duke. Um, you know, the other games, I'll let you guys talk more about them. But but it's still, to me, it's defense. Um, defense is the main thing. And I don't know how Coach K fixes it. He's tried going zone. I mean, that's you've seen a You've seen Duke play more zone the past few games, even last year when he went zone a little bit. This year has been way, way, way more. And I think part of that is trying to keep the guys uh, rested because they were getting very, very tired, I think. And we've had a tough kind of schedule with all these games, Saturday, Monday, Saturday, Monday. Um, uh, But I'm not sure how he fixes it until... Emil Jefferson comes back. I'll let you guys talk a little bit. I've got a couple more defensive things I want to talk about, but, but uh, you know, uh, Donald, what do you, what's your takeaway from those games? It's all the D, right? So there, there's a couple of things that I want to mention. The D is part of it, but is, there's an overarching theme about what we've seen in the last five games. We're tired in every phase of the game. We're tired mentally. We're tired physically. We're tired emotionally. And we don't have anyone who can get us over the hump when our back's against the wall. It's, it, it's almost like if you guys play video games, you play like FIFA, or you play NBA Live or, or Madden, and you have your guy at full sprint that's been playing for the entire game, and his motor is only at 75%, but he's giving max effort. But that max effort's only 75%. And that's where our team is right now with the six-man rotation. Our motor can only get to 75%. So even though we're at max effort, we can't go up against teams that are giving us their best shot every single night. So that's the one thing that uh, – that's the overarching theme for me. The one thing that could help that would be uh, somebody coming off of the bench that normally wouldn't come off the bench – uh, and making an impact. And the one person that we thought entering the season that would be able to do that is Chase Jeter. I want to give you guys a stat that is probably the, the wildest stat I've seen in a long time. In conference play, Chase Jeter is getting called for 20 fouls per every 40 minutes he plays basketball. Oh, my God. His oh my turnover God. rate when he's on the floor is 49%. What does that mean? That means every three plays – the odds are that Chase Jeter will, in these in those three plays, foul someone, turn the ball over, and go back to the bench. That is incredible because you look at our guys or the minutes that they're playing, and we don't have anyone to back them up. Chase is supposed to be one of those guys that's going to keep keep us somewhat fresh until Emil Jefferson gets back. But if he can't stay in the ball game, I mean, there was one game, I think it was uh, Syracuse, he fouled out. Uh, was a Syracuse he fouled out with three, like three, uh, six fouls in like three minutes played. Um, it's, it's, he can't, if he can't stay on the floor, then there's no, then this is going to continue. This, this, uh, the fact that we're fatigued, the fact that we have guys playing pretty much the entire game, you know, five or six players playing pretty much the entire game. We, we need to have somebody off that bench who can be capable 
and spell these guys when we need it. Because otherwise, if we get into foul trouble or if they just get tired down the stretch, we won't have the Lakes compete with anyone in the ACC that's giving it their best shot. Hey, hey, Donald, really quick, let me jump in. Something on Chase Jeter. You know <laughs> what people need to realize? This guy was a highly, highly touted recruit. Chase Jeter was the number 14 recruit in the country, according to the recruiting service consensus index, which means they take a whole bunch of recruiting ratings and average them together. So, you know, according to like everybody, number 14 in the country. I mean, usually that's a guy who's sort of going to challenge to be a one and done player. Um, uh, One and done, as far as Chase Jeter is concerned, means he plays one minute and then he's done for the game because he's so bad in that one minute. Uh, I feel for him. I mean, I, I want it to go better for him, not just for Duke, but for him all, as well. You know, the kid had high expectations, but ugh, it's it, it's it's been incredibly frustrating. It's been a disaster so far. Well, there's a there's a couple of things here. First of all, Donald, you know that the video games are are designed to be like real life. So when the guys are getting fatigued in the games, you know that's that's supposed to be what happens in in real games and. As we've pointed out, we only really have six guys who are playing and they're all playing, you know, most of them are playing over 30 minutes every game. Um, so, yeah, the, this, this fatigue is 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 very real. Uh, and as you say, that the, the bench isn't really there to help um, without Jefferson and with both Chase Jeter and Sean Obie not really being able to contribute much. I mean, Chase Jeter is basically like Ryan Kelly in his freshman year where, you know, he, he'd come in for like one or two minutes a game, but it's not like he provided any useful minutes. The lucky thing is that we had four big men that year uh, who were able to take all the minutes from him, and we didn't really need him uh, until um, you know until uh, until years down the road when when he was a valuable contributor. By the way, Ryan Kelly also number fourteen in the RSCI uh, when he was coming out of high school. So, as you point out, Jason, obviously the kids who are ranked that high have a lot of um, potential, but aren't necessarily realizing it in their freshman seasons. So, on the one hand. I don't think any of us saw Chase Jeter being this unproductive this season, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that all is lost for him. Yeah. Um, Donald, Donald, you thought he'd lead the team in rebounds, right? Or block shots, something like that. Yeah. I think it was block shots that I said, um, and in rebounds, I thought he would, uh, I said, I'm pretty sure I picked Jefferson, but I might've picked Jeter uh, in that category, but it's weird because like, it's, there was a, there was a point last night. There was very limited minutes that he played where he, Went up. He basically got the ball. He he fouled somebody, uh, and then he got the ball on the on somewhat transition and inside. Tried to go up strong to the hoop, and and the Miami guy literally just took the ball out of his hand and threw him to the ground in one fell swoop. And it was like him taking a newspaper and spiking it on the ground. It was it was like he was a rag doll out there. And 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 sometimes when he goes on the floor, his fouls come when he is lost in the offense or lost in the defense. And those are things that are, those are mental things. And that's what's leading me to believe that this young team, I mean, we, we have what we have one senior in Jefferson who's not playing right now. And we have, you know, one junior in Matt Jones. So, and the rest are sophomores. Marshall Plumley. Marshall, Marshall, Marshall Plumley. Um, and the rest of them are sophomores and freshmen. So they're hitting this, this wall, this freshman wall, and they're hitting this wall earlier than expected because they're playing so many heavy minutes and expecting a lot, especially during ACC season, it's hard for him to get over that hump. And, and like I said earlier, somebody needs to be that person that can bring this team over the hump. And it might be Emil Jefferson, but at the same time, if it is, then we're really waiting for him to come back. Well, you know, um, 
Mike Craig, the uh, the Duke Sports Information Director, sent a note out sort of to Iron Dukes to the Duke community where he uh, he just sent this out this evening. A friend of mine told me about it where he said, you know, we expect, we think, we hope we're going to get some good news on Emil Jefferson very soon. Um, uh, there, there's lots of talk that um, uh, perhaps the game against NC State next week, perhaps even the game against Georgia Tech. But um, Duke he was a- out of the boot. He was out of the boot um, at, at NC State and, again, at uh, Miami. He was, you know, on the bench without a walking boot, which is uh, always a good sign. Yeah, and, and we've got a full week here. We've got, you know, the, the whole weekend off. We've got a full week here before we before we play Georgia Tech next week. Um, lots of time to sort of integrate him back in, to, uh, assuming he's able to, to move a little bit on the court, assuming he's able to put some pressure on that foot. As you say, he's he's out of the boot, and that's a, that's a really good sign. Um, Duke is a different team with Emil Jefferson. Uh, there's absolutely no question about that. And um, uh, so... I want to get back really quick. I was talking about defense earlier. Um, uh, my friend Jonathan Gans, I'm not sure if you guys know him or not. Um, he, he used to work at Sports Illustrated. He's a rabid Duke fan. Um, he sent out a note where he pointed out that um, Duke is now allowing 102.1 points per 100 possessions, 102.1 points per 100, 100 possessions, um, according to Ken Pomeroy, which yeah. which makes us the 149th worst team in the country on defense. But Jonathan went a little bit further and he said, if you look only at our ACC play, which is when we lost Emil Jefferson and we started playing true road games, in conference games, our defensive efficiency is a startling, ridiculous 109.7 points per 100 possessions. 109 points per 100 possessions. You know how bad that is? Here's how bad that is. There are 351 schools that play Division One basketball. 109.7 points per 100 possessions would rank us 297th out of 351 Division One teams. Is that bad? That's really, really bad. And if that, you guys remember, that's a stat. That's a, I mean, that's a stat that comes up just as much as offensive efficiency. Uh, in previous years, that's something that we're at or near the top in so that even if our offensive efficiency – efficiency isn't quite there our defense usually is and that's usually why we're in the hunt at the end of the season yeah i, I mean we we were we were not a great defensive team with emil jefferson but like i think pomeroy had us in like the top 30 or so in the nation top 30 top 40 we were pretty good basically without emil jefferson we're among the bottom 50 teams in the country and think about how many teams there are in division one I. I mean teams that you never hear of teams you know southland the bottom of the southland conference that's what we're with, like. With Emil Jefferson playing half the season in Pomeroy, we're 149th in adjusted defense, uh, which is even even taking into account a few of the recent years where where the defense has been up and down is still much worse than any of our any of our recent defensive rankings. The the a quick look says that the the worst we've ever had in the Pomeroy era is 116th, um, which was in the 2014 season with Jabari Parker. Right. So, Correct. Correct. Um, this is uh, this, this, this is the this is the worst in his. This is the worst Duke defensive team since Pomeroy started keeping efficiency and, stats, which and it's was not back close. in the early two thousands. And it's no, not it's not either. It's not. Um, so it, that and 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 we know that Emil Jefferson was an anchor for the defense, whether they were playing in that zone and he could um, use his length at the top of it, or if they were playing man to man and he was able to guard the best, you know, three, four, or five on the team, uh, maybe even the best two on the team. Um, 
you know, Emil Jefferson covers for a lot of the defensive, uh, for the defensive shortcomings in the front court or in the back court rather. And, uh, and he's not there to, to cover that ground for us. Well, uh, and it's, so, it's yeah. not just, it's not just how he plays. It's, it's that he's the best communicator. He knows right. Duke defense better than anyone else on that team. He, and, and when he's playing in the back of the defense, he communicates with everybody else. He tells them where to go. I, I can't, you know, the best stat. We've talked a lot of stats, and, and I'm the guy who was bidding out 109 point whatever, you know, all those other kind of crazy stats that people listening to us probably couldn't keep track of without a pen and paper. The best stat, here's one. You ready? It's just a couple numbers. With Emil Jefferson, Duke was 8-1. and one. Without Emil Jefferson, Duke is 7-5. and five. There it yeah, is. And, and, and that's all you really need to say about it. Um, I, I find, you know, still uh, hanging on the defense, watching this team try to play that 2-3 zone, uh, it looks like they're pretty uncoordinated on it. The back line, especially against Miami, I noticed we were playing a lot. The back line oftentimes was, was not even with each other. You know, they, they, the guys were all, were all matched up in, in different um, orientations, uh, and, and it led to a lot of uh, Miami getting easy baskets around the perimeter because guys weren't necessarily in their, in their required positions uh, to, to play that defense. And I think that we've all watched enough Syracuse and seen enough teams play two, three zones to kind of, I mean, you know, we're not experts on it, but we kind of know what it's supposed to look like. And this team doesn't seem like they know what it's supposed to look like uh, at least, at least from their perspective. So that, it's really concerning because as you point out that the zone defense is, is meant to limit the fouls and it's supposed to keep the guys fresh and it's, it may, it might be doing that, but it's doing that at a at a terrible hindrance to the team. They're they're giving up points left and right. Uh, Miami was scoring over and around it at will, so it makes you wonder how useful it is if if it's not producing good results, even if it's keeping the guys on the floor. Um, you know, really quick, you mentioned Syracuse. Um, and, and uh, you know, it's easy for us to say, oh, Duke's not doing this on defense and Duke's not doing that on offense and we've hit the wall and the guys are inexperienced and they're tired and we need a meal. I do want to point out, I thought Syracuse played a fabulous game against us, especially defensively. Um, the Syracuse zone uh, extended itself in just the right ways. It did not allow us to get inside. Syracuse basically said, go ahead try and shoot over us but we're going to contest those shots they aren't it's not like you're going to just we're going to pack it in and you can just bomb away with impunity you're going to have to take contested three-pointers um duke shot, took 62 shots in that game 37 of them were three-point attempts um well over half almost two-thirds of the shots we attempted in the game were three-pointers and we didn't hit many of them so i i i, I want to you know hats off to Jim Beheim in Syracuse, who I thought played a great game and and entirely deserved to win, um, uh, you know, against a, a Blue Devil team that was willing to shoot over them and keep on shooting, and keep on missing. It's a game though that that you can imagine very easily if Emil Jefferson is playing in it and is able to to be that zone buster in the middle and, and stand at the free throw line that the offense runs a lot more a lot a lot differently, uh, particularly given the offensive strides that he had made in the beginning of this year being able to get the ball at the free throw line and either shoot it or, uh, or more regularly get to the basket uh, and have the defense collapse around him. Uh, and Tyler Robertson is not pulling down 20 rebounds, including 12 on the offensive glass. Yeah, and, and Michael Bennett yeah. is not, not, not going completely nuts um, right. all over the floor. So obviously, you know, teams are going to get up to play Duke, but, but Duke usually weathers the storm in that regard and, and failed to do so this time against, yeah, a Syracuse team that, that seemed extra motivated and had guys playing out of their minds. Uh, by the way, Miami, as you, yeah. I was going to say, by the way, I hate being right. Um, remember when we were doing the Syracuse preview, I'm not sure if you guys remember, I said my biggest fear 
was that Tyler Roberson would kill us on the offensive boards. And uh, I hate I hate being right. But by the way, you know, we should point out um, we haven't there's a guy we haven't mentioned who had uh, an incredible game against Syracuse. Marshall Plumley had 11 offensive rebounds against Syracuse, 19 points, 17 rebounds. He he was phenomenal against Syracuse, and especially when you consider. Yeah, especially when you consider that Syracuse is playing that packed in zone and ordinarily they would make it really, really difficult to, to get rebounds and get putbacks and, um, you know, and get the ball inside. Um, Marshall had a Marshall had a great game against Syracuse. I mean, not so much some of the other games, but he had a great game against Syracuse. Sure. All right. Let's uh, let's leave the games in the past. Uh, I know that we've unfortunately had to say that uh, more often than not this this year so far, this this uh, short calendar year to this date. Um, but we'll look ahead. So Duke has two games coming up. Um, they're none this weekend. They have their, their buy, buy slot, if you will, um, this weekend. But next week they get uh, Georgia Tech on the road. Uh, and I'll have Jason start the preview for that, although I know that Donald is attending the game. So uh, why don't you guys each give us your thoughts on Georgia Tech? I'll start with Jason because I think you've seen them a few times this year. I have, and and you know, being from Atlanta, Georgia Tech is my hometown team, so I get to, um, I get a little more attention and coverage uh, of them in the in the area than I do other ACC teams. Um, Tech Tech is just one in five in the ACC, and um, I don't think that record reflects the quality of the team. This is a this is a fairly good Georgia Tech team, and they are especially good at home. Um, the only game they've won thus far was at home, and it was against UVA. And, you know, let's not kid ourselves. Virginia is a fine, fine basketball team, and Georgia Tech managed to beat them. Georgia Tech's other home games in the ACC, they played Virginia Tech. They lost by one in a game that could have gone either way, and they lost by four to a very good Louisville team. So, uh, you know, they've played tough games at home. They've lost two of them that were very, very close. I think they're definitely better than their record would indicate. Um, Tech is a decent scoring team not a great scoring team they're one of these teams that that grinds it out a lot um they tend to find their way into like 70 points per game or so um they don't get into the 80s all that much um they are led by a couple senior guards marcus george's hunt who i think is in his 12th year at georgia 12th or 13th year at georgia tech something like that um averages about 16 points a game does a he does a nice job getting into the lane drawing fouls he doesn't shoot a ton from the outside their outside shooting comes from another senior guard adam smith who gets about 14 points a game, not to be confused with the Adam Smith, who is an economist. This is the Adam Smith, who is a, a college guard. Just, you know, little economics joke there for you. Uh, so Adam I Smith. I appreciate uh, it, Jason. I was going to make the same joke if you had made me do the preview. Oh, good, good. Thank, thank goodness yeah, yeah, yeah. someone so else. Continue. Sorry. That's the same sense of humor. So Adam Smith is their main outside shooter. They don't, they don't take a lot of outside shots other than Adam Smith. And he hits almost 45% of his threes. So you got to watch out for him. And then uh, the place they go in the middle, um, their man in the middle is Charles Mitchell. Um, folks will remember him. He used to be at Maryland and he transferred to Georgia Tech. Um, uh, he, he's another guy who's been in school for 15 years, it feels like. I mean, everyone on this Tech team has been around forever. Charles Mitchell averages a double-double, which is not easy to do. Um, and then there are a lot of other guys for Tech because they're an incredibly deep team. I mean, like, this is probably the deepest team we'll play all year. They have 10 different guys who regularly get minutes. And I don't mean, like, get four or five, six minutes. I mean, like, they have 10 guys who get 13-plus minutes a game. So Brian Gregory just keeps on putting guys in the game, trying to see who's doing well and who's going to carry him um, in this moment. Um, and by the way, I, I mentioned Brian Gregory because this is a guy who's under tremendous pressure this season. In the offseason, 
and you just you never hear this kind of thing in the offseason. The Georgia Tech athletic director came out and had a press conference where he said, boy, it was a really difficult decision. I wasn't sure, but I've decided to give Brian Gregory one more year. I think he deserves one more season. I, I mean, can you imagine? It wasn't like usually if you're keeping a guy, Gregory's in his fifth season. He's never had a winning record. So you can see how there was some pressure to make a change. I mean, if you're keeping a guy, usually it's like unqualified uh, in terms of your endorsement of him. Yes, we know he's going to be fine and we have confidence in him. The AD came out and said, oh, it was a really tough decision, but we decided to give him one more year. So there's a lot of pressure on Brian Gregory. He's clearly on the hot seat. And a lot of people think the only reason he stuck around for this fifth season is because because Tech, he has a fairly decent contract. So Tech owes him something like $3 million more million through 2018. And Georgia Tech is not a program that has a ton of money. They can't really afford to be buying out coaches and then paying big money for new coaches and stuff. And how many, so I think they how sort many of, old How many old basketball coaches are they? I mean, they're still paying Paul Hewitt, aren't they? Yeah, I think they're playing Paul Hewitt through 2040 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. no, you're right. He, uh, had Paul the, Hewitt. he had one of the Bobby Bonilla-type contracts, but it was also one of those contracts that was like, uh, a seven-year contract that automatically added a year every single offseason in like yep. perpetuity. It was it was one of the it's one of the I don't know who his agent is, but he his agent is one of the greatest of all time for that contract. Well, they they made the final four that year, and Hewitt was like he was either in the last year of his contract or second to last year of his contract, and they basically they made the final four, and they, Hewitt had Tech over a barrel, and he was there. You know, Tech was going to give him whatever the heck he wanted, and then. Program went downhill. They fired him. They're still paying him. So they can't afford to get rid of Brian Gregory at the moment. But I, I just wanted to bring that up. I mean, this is a guy who everyone, every time Tech loses one of these close nail-biter games, especially at home, you know, Brian Gregory thinks, you know, this is it for me. I, that, you know, this is my career. Um, so uh, you know they're going to be geeked up uh, if these guys want to tr- sort of save Brian Gregory's career. And he hasn't recruited – Gregory has not recruited all that well. And like I said, everyone's seniors. So even if they do okay this season, even if they finally manage to get a winning record, um, you know, I think they, they they will be in some trouble next year. They won't be all that good. Uh, but anyway, so that that's my preview of Georgia Tech. A bunch of seniors, uh, not a great outside shooting team, decent scoring but not a great scoring team. Maybe that will be helpful for a Duke team that, that struggles on defense a little bit. But they're going to beat us by like 15. Oh, Jesus. Don't say that. Don't I'm sorry. I'm, 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 I'm trying to be positive. Donald, why don't you give us your take? Uh, well, first of all, as Jason uh, and you guys said, uh, I will actually be at the game on Tuesday. Um, this will be my first time in the Thriller Dome. Um, I've been to Atlanta dozens of times in my life, but never actually attended the game there. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that atmosphere. I hear um, that it can be, it has the potential of being one of the, one of the livelier atmospheres uh, in the ACC, especially when Duke is in town. But Having said that, the the one thing that scares me or, or the one thing that I'm concerned about, I won't say anything scares me, but the one thing that concerns me is the fact that Brian Gregory plays all these guys a, a, a lot of minutes, like 10, you said 10 players over 13 minutes. And, of course, we, we've, we talked about it in the last segment. We, we, we like playing with only six players. Well, we, we have to play with only six players. So what is that going to mean? That means there's going to be – they're going to be, sent, you know, basically – putting in their A team, their B team, their 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 army switch, their battalion, however you want to call it, their 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 lane shifts, but we are going to be rocking with our six players. Will we get tired? Will you know Charles Mitchell, who is a, a monster, he's what, two hundred and seventy pounds, is he gonna you know, can he uh wear down 
Plumley to the point where we're putting in Chase Jeter or Sean Obi against them. Um, that's what's going to remain to be seen. And with this week off, what I'm looking for as someone who's going to be in the stands is just a team that is ready to fight. They've been fighting this entire season, but one that's going to come out and really off the bat match the intensity that the crowd is going to be feeding against them. Um, that's always a key with these, uh, with these games on the road uh, is to match the intensity and then beat that. So, uh, I, that's what I'm looking for. I, I think it's going to be a great game. Uh, hopefully it won't be close. I'd love it for it to be a 15-point blowout on our end. Um, but if we get down to the wire where it starts to get kind of thick, will our, will our players have the moxie to respond? They did that against NC State. Will they do that against Georgia Tech? That's the question. Yeah, I mean, you guys, you guys hit on all the things. Um, I, uh, I am curious to see how, how Duke defends um, the, those big three from – uh, from Georgia Tech, as Jason mentioned, um, but ultimately, I, I, I agree. I, I think Duke should be able to beat this team pretty easily. I think that they don't. It's not like they possess such a diverse offense that Duke shouldn't be able to stop it, even with the defense as bad as it's been. Um, you know, you can you can have Brandon Ingram on the perimeter trying to disrupt uh, uh, Adam Smith and uh, and Georgia's hunt, and and we'll we'll see. Uh, I think this team needs a game against a frankly easier opponent, which Georgia Tech, I mean, they're not the easiest opponent, but an easier opponent um, to try to get themselves righted again. They are they are ranked 68th in Ken Palm, so it's not like they're terrible. They're not, you know, Boston College or something. Um, but again, that game isn't for a week. So the this Duke team has a little bit of time to rest up. Potentially, as you say, maybe incorporate Emil Jefferson again if he's going to be healthy. If not, oh well, they'll have to keep fighting with the six guys who are who are giving them productive minutes as it is. Uh, NC State, Duke's visiting NC State, or Duke hosts NC State, rather, um, the following Saturday. I think we'll probably have another episode between now and then. So I'll hold off on a preview of them uh, until then. And also, you know, given that we just saw them, I think that everybody knows what to expect from NC State. I did want to uh, highlight real quick the um, ACC football schedule came out today. So Duke got their schedule for the upcoming season. Uh, where they will be going into the season for the first time in 54 years, I think, having won a bowl game. So uh, did either of you guys get a chance to take a look at the schedule? Do you have any thoughts on it? Uh, I think, Donald, maybe, um, did you get a chance to look at the schedule? I did. Um, I, I saw that it was coming out uh, this this morning, and uh, my friend Jeff and I were, were kind of going back and forth on the schedule earlier today. It's There's a couple weird things. We, we play uh, UNC on a Thursday night. Um, and again, that's going to be at Wallace Wade on November 10th. We have a Friday night game, which is at Louisville, which is, I believe, the first time we play Louisville um, at, when the, as, as a member of the ACC. Um, and so we get to travel to Louisville on a Friday night in October. The one thing that uh, struck me as odd, my friend Jeff pointed this out to me as the, uh, the schedule started trickling out, was that we play Wake Forest at the second game of the season on September 10th. That game is usually the last game of the season. If you recall, we used to play UNC the last game of the season. And a few years back, they switched it, you know, due to, out of concerns for, one, um, our fan base not being local um, and having that game over the Thanksgiving break with the, with the schedule shift. And two, the more emphasis from, the emphasis from, uh, I guess, I will say state legislators to have UNC NC State be that rivalry game that thanks over Thanksgiving weekend. So it's interesting to see that Wake Forest was the f- second game of the season and the first ACC opponent. Who was our last opponent? We're at Miami Thanksgiving weekend. I wonder if the game this past season had anything to do with that. 
Yeah, no, it's a it's a good point. Um, I I believe that unfortunately when we watch that game, we're going to be subjected to many many replays of the uh, of the infamous uh, end of the Miami game from last year. I think that this schedule is interesting because Duke has two very winnable games right right up top, NC Central and Wake Forest, and then two pretty tough games at Northwestern and at Notre Dame. Um, so Duke is going to be, I think, lucky to leave that stretch of the schedule at three and one. Uh, more likely, they're probably going to be two and two. And then they have a couple more easy games, Virginia and Army, uh, before the the tough meat of the ACC schedule. As you mentioned, Louisville, uh, Virginia Tech, who's got a new coach and is probably going to improve. A Georgia Tech team that underperformed last year. We'll see how they are. And then obviously UNC uh, before finishing the season with Pitt and Miami. The the schedule this year is going to be harder than it was last year. You're you're replacing um, you're replacing some mediocre opponents with with teams like Notre Dame and Louisville. Um, so it's going to get harder. Uh, and and we'll see if the uh, if Duke can continue the bowl streak because um, I think that particularly in the Coastal Division, um, teams like Virginia Tech uh, and and Miami seem like they're getting better and not necessarily getting worse. And Virginia even who who was strong last year and managed to beat Duke. Uh, Jason, did you have any thoughts on the football schedule? Uh, no, I'm going to freely admit I'm a I'm a big fan of Duke football. I love Duke football, but not as much as you guys do. So for the most part, I've been focused on basketball lately. You guys covered it nicely. I don't have very much to add. Um, I know it's it's tougher than we've seen in previous years. Okay, um, let's move then to player of the week. I will start with Donald. Uh, yeah. So who do you take from this week? It, it was kind of hard for me. Uh, I'm going to go with Brandon Ingram um, and basically for this reason, he played, you know, pretty decently the, the three games. He had one game where he, he played pretty well. Um, the one thing that I will take from that is a, a quote from uh, uh, NC State coach Mark Godfrey after uh, we beat them uh, in Raleigh. He said that he probably had, I mean, he, to, to preface, he, uh, NC State has played LSU earlier in the season. They played them back in November, and the what would most people would likely say is the number one pick in the draft of Ben Simmons. And Mark Godfrey said, I'm not quite sure that we haven't just seen the number one pick in the draft play today. Um, he was referring to Brandon Ingram in, in his play. So um, I will take that as uh, Mark Godfrey uh, giving the player of the week to Brandon Ingram, and I will have to agree with him. Uh, I'm also going with Brandon Ingram. Um, I, and And the, it's not because of the scoring, um, although he's been, you know, he's pretty consistently our leading scorer, our second leading scorer, pretty almost every game. Um, it's because of two other aspects of what he did um, this past week. One was the rebounding. He had 10 rebounds against Miami. He had 11 rebounds against Syracuse. He had seven rebounds against NC State. I mean, the guy is crushing it on the boards. Uh, he's turned into a beast. But the, the big thing that I saw from him was uh, the previous week, um, Duke would get in trouble because Brandon Ingram would get in foul trouble. Um, and he has found a way, at least in this week, he found a way to play aggressively, to play hard on the boards, to still be a force on offense and defense, and yet not pick up fouls. He played 39 minutes, 39 minutes, and 40 minutes in our three games this past week. Um, and he did that because he was only picking up, you know, maybe two, maybe three fouls a game. Um, and that's great. I, I'm Before I hand it off, um, Sam, to you, I want to urge you, Sam, please, please do not pick Brandon Ingram as player of the week because last week, guys, all three of us picked, picked Luke Kennard and Luke Kennard proceeded to go 0 for 9 against Syracuse, 4 for 12 against NC State and 3 for 8 against Miami. 
Luke Kennard was three for 18 on threes. And on the season, Luke Kennard is now hitting less than 30% of his three-pointers. He's at 299. Uh, I don't know if we jinxed him or not, but all three of us picked him as player of the week, and he promptly had the worst week of his uh, of his career so far. A young career, but um, uh, he did not have a very good week. I will say this. The dude is such a good shooter. He's going to get stupid hot at some point. He's going to have a week where he hits eight out of 11 three-pointers. Or, or he's in the ACC tournament. He's going to get crazy, stupid hot and carry us to victory by averaging 26 points a game. It's going to happen because the dude is too good a shooter. But I'm begging you, Sam, don't pick Brandon Ingram. Don't make it unanimous. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you uh, were so insistent because I was already planning on taking Marshall Plumley. Um, oh, thanks. thank you. Thanks entirely to his performance against Syracuse going uh, for 19 points and 17 rebounds, as you already pointed out, uh, was an excellent performance by him. In general, I think we've we've talked about him more this year. He's obviously played a much more prominent role in this team than he has in any previous season. He's averaging 29 uh, minutes a game, which is the first time he's averaged double-figure minutes. And uh, and he's doing it without fouling out in the last uh, – in the three games this week, he was averaging about 37 minutes a game. So he's playing basically every minute. He's not fouling out. He's a very productive member of the team, uh, and it's a. I think. I think given you know how how poorly the team has played relative to the sort of standard Duke expectations, it's gone under the radar that Marshall Plumley has been such an impressive player for Duke this year. Obviously, there are times on defense when you think, Marshall, why don't you get your hand in there and try to stop that guy from scoring so easily? But um, he's he's good with the ball. His hands aren't made of stone anymore. He pulls down a lot of rebounds. And the guy just in general this season has been very productive and was really great against Syracuse, unfortunately, in a losing effort. So um, to Marshall Plumlee for this week and in general for the season so far, uh, hats off for a guy who has made incredible strides in his final season at Duke. So I wasn't planning on taking Brandon Ingram. I was going to be taking Marshall Plumlee. But I appreciate, Jason, your concern for Brandon Ingram's well-being going forward. Uh, I think it's now time to do parting shots, and I'll throw it back to Jason. I'll give it to you first. You have a parting shot for this week. So I've got two things I want to mention, and I'm not sure either one of them are things that will come as big surprises to Duke fans. Sometimes we we find little hidden nuggets, hidden gems. But my first parting shot is um, uh, to bid a fond adieu, goodbye, to Duke being ranked. Um, it was the final poll of the 2007 basketball season. Uh, 2007, almost a decade ago, uh, that Duke was last not ranked. 167, 167, 167 straight weeks of being ranked. It's something like the third or fourth longest streak of all time. Um, and I think with the with the loss to Miami and no game this weekend and being number 24 in the rankings, um, uh, Duke is going to fall out of the rankings. Uh, you know, it, it is what it is. Rankings don't really matter that much in the long in the long term. Uh, we lamented last season, I believe it was last season, when Duke had a very, very extremely long streak of being ranked in the top 10 that came to an end. This year, the streak of being ranked um, will come to an end, and we'll start a new one. Um, but my real parting shot is uh, to say farewell to yet another long streak. Um, Ken Pomeroy, there, there's a note about this on the board. There's a, a thread, and I'm not sure how many folks bother to read it. The thread is titled, titled Duke and Savannah State. Um, have, have you guys read it? Do you know what I'm talking about? I have no, I haven't seen it. Oh, oh, so so you guys who are both moderators along with me on the 
on the forums, don't read every thread. There's a thread titled Duke and Savannah State that points out that Ken Pomeroy keeps track because Ken Pomeroy keeps track of the most absurd, weird, bizarre things on the planet. He keeps track of teams that have gone the longest, not losing on the same day. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. A, a heck of a lot of teams, almost everybody plays on Saturday. Um, let me, sometimes let me, some let me let me cut you yeah, off and ahead. say that I actually have read this tread. Now that you're talking about it, I now know what you're talking about. And yes, I have read this, but continue. There you go. So so because almost everyone plays on Saturday and, and most teams play Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, you sent, tend to play the same day as other as every other team in the country many, many times during the season. So Ken Pomeroy decided to keep track of which teams had gone the longest, what pairing had gone the longest, not losing on the same day. And uh, around the middle of last season, Duke and Savannah State, who hadn't lost on the same day since December 6th of 2008, almost eight years ago, Duke and Savannah State became the current leaders of not losing on the same day. Well, on Monday, and it's ironic that it was a Monday because, you know, most teams don't play on Monday. Mondays and Mondays and Fridays are sort of kind of off days for college basketball. If it was a Saturday, it'd be more normal. But on Monday, Duke lost to Miami and Savannah State lost to Norfolk. And uh, now, uh, you know, Savannah State is just seven and 11 on the season. So we've been doing most of the heavy lifting for them <laughs> throughout the past eight years. But the the record, the, the streak of the longest time of two teams not losing on the same day, that too has come to an end as Duke and Savannah State both lost on Monday. So that's my parting shot. I, I feel like my parting shot this week was like the most geeky, nerdy, weird thing ever. But it'll be what it'll be. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry for not reading the thread. You want me to get in double moderator trouble right now? Um, not only not only was I not reading it, but I looked at it and assumed it was a women's basketball thread um, because I don't really follow the women's basketball team. So uh, everyone hate me uh, because I <laughs> a, have not read the whole forum and B, um, don't usually read the, the women's. Um, All right, so I'm, I'm going to admit, I'm going to admit, by the way, that I had not read the thread until yesterday when after we lost to Miami, I saw it pop up to the top of the list of, of posts of threads and i was like what, thought, what is this? this one about um, and i read it like and i was the, like uh, that's a cool parting shot <laughs> it's like how the um, it's like how the optimist thread recently reappeared uh and i feel like it's gonna get buried soon again too yeah yeah um oh well all right donald parting shot okay so my parting shot i was i was thinking today about what it would be uh, I was going to say something about Steph Curry being just the most ridiculous dude on the planet, but everybody knows that. I, I know that I know, it's probably not your parting shot, but do you want to just talk about him for like one minute? Let's talk about him for one minute because I, I – did you see – did you see – I don't know if you saw the game last night. I was very late. I was up until like 1.45 in the morning just watching basketball. Um, but Steph Curry, there was a stat that my friend sent, and I'm going – I'm pulling it up right now. Um, he leads the league – in scoring by like 3.5 points a game, which in the NBA is a lot of points. That is with him sitting out 13 full fourth quarters. That is ridiculous. What? To crazy. Lead the crazy. What? In scoring, and that's in, that is he's played in every he's played in every game but two so far. I think it's 43 games that he's played in, and he has sat out 13 full fourth quarters because they are just killing everybody. And I, it's just amazing. Like he had 37 last night through three quarters, and there, and and the Warriors were up 40 on the Spurs, who the the second best team in the league by a long shot, and they just destroyed them. And and in in three quarters, he was like, "Cool, 37, done for the night. Let me park my butt on the bench." 
and let the let the the bench take over. And and they did. It's not like there's a there's a let off. It's it's amazing how he plays and how his team plays as a result. Well, you know, and it's not just that he, they beat the Spurs by you know by forty points. Like they thrashed them. The Spurs are are ridiculously good. Like the Spurs right. are historically good. If it wasn't for the fact that the Warriors may be, I mean, they're on their way to being the greatest regular season team in NBA history this year. The poor Spurs. I, I mean, the Spurs may only lose like twelve games all year, something like that. I mean, right. they they may win seventy. The Spurs could win seventy games. Which would be a record, the, except the Warriors. Last are, night's, the Warriors are going to win like seventy three or seventy four games. Last night's game was the was the best record between two teams this late in the season because I think uh, 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 the the Spurs only have six losses. And yeah, and the Warriors have four. The Warriors only have four, so that's ten losses between the two teams this. They were combined. They were combined seventy eight and ten. That's right. that's just stupid. That's crazy. Yeah. Donald, I know you said that you were up late. Um, in in the wee hours of the morning, how many times did you watch the vine of Steph Curry uh, evading Kawhi Leonard and hitting the three while like shifting to his right? I was watching that for about thirty minutes until after the game was over. Um, NBA TV switched it to the end of the uh, the Hornets Kings game that went to double overtime, where Demarcus Cousins had fifty six points and. The Hornets basically won and fouled out early in the second OT. But the but uh, uh, Josh da- is it Josh Daniels um, uh, of the uh, Hornets had eight threes in the game, including the the game dagger uh, to beat uh, the Kings in double overtime. That was a ridiculous second overtime that I watched. So I, that's what kept me up until about one forty five in the morning. Did you have a real parting shot? Yes. Yeah, so my parting shot, I was I was thinking about that. <laughs> And I was actually watching uh, basketball again before we came on, uh, before we started recording. And I just want to take you guys, I don't know if you guys got to see this, the end of the uh, Wake Forest UVA game that oh, I heard happened this. a couple of um, this makes, with This makes Duke's gone in, in, in 90 seconds or 50, whatever it is, the Maryland. This is like the Duke-Maryland game a few years back. So with 28 seconds left, uh, Wake Forest was up 70 to 63. They lost seventy-two to seventy-one. Um, it was, and, and it wasn't like we just like like Virginia came down and just hit all these shots, and and it was very smooth, like it was in the Gone in fifty-four game that we had uh, back in two thousand one. This was. It started out with Malcolm Brogdon getting a rebound off of a missed free throw, and then turning the ball over immediately, and then Wake Forest turned the ball over, and then <laughs> UVA hits a three. Then they make a foul. Then uh, Wake Forest misses two free throws. They make it, and then UVA makes another three. They foul again. UV, um, Wake actually makes a free throw to make it 71-69, and Darius Thompson hits this ridiculous three-pointer from the, from the wing that banked off the side of the glass and went in with no time left. It, it really it, – it, it, I, I was watching just the end of it because they, sw- they switched over to it, and it was just kind of amazing to watch. And I was like, oh, I'm about to jump on and, and – do this podcast after watching that that is my parting shot that was just an amazing stretch of basketball that everybody needs to see tonight uh or if, or if tomorrow or whenever you're listening to this and you haven't seen it just go to espn the video is probably out and you will be able to see the end of this game it's crazy seven points in 21 seconds that's uh, they actually they scored eight points it came from seven points down in 21 seconds that's yeah. ridiculous pretty good 
My my parting shot is only vaguely re, re, related to basketball. It involves the way that I watched the uh, the Duke Miami game, which was last night. Uh, so I had to I had to be somewhere last night uh, that's like not exactly near where I work or near where I live. And so I was like, all right, I gotta and and, and I had to be there right after, like right at the end of the Miami game. So I was like, all right, I, I'll find like a bar or something to go watch in that neighborhood. And I was specifically looking for a pizza joint. So I like did a little Google search for pizza places and just like picked the best one, uh, like the best reviewed one in the Google search that I did. And I ended up at this um, like suburban sort of cougar infested Italian restaurant, (laughs) which wasn't what I intended. They had, and and when I walked up to it, um, like I, I saw into the window and they had the TV on and the TV was on at ESPN. And I was like, all right, they have a bar, like they have ESPN on how bad could it be? And I walked in and I immediately realized I made a mistake, but I like had already parked myself on a seat. So I was sitting uh, in between one woman who was probably uh, a few years older than I was and was pretty cute, but was very preoccupied with her glass of wine and her phone. And then the woman sitting on the other side of me um, was uh, probably decades older than Jason um, and, and had and had, had um, I would I would estimate the uh, number of glasses of wine that probably correspond to the number of decades she's been on this planet. Um, so she was very talkative and had a lot of things to say, not about sports, just about all kinds of stuff. Um, but the the saving grace was that a fellow who was probably a little younger than she was, probably closer to Jason's age, ended up sitting down next to her and was regaling her with all these stories about his life and what you know all these, all these different interesting things he's done. He's like worked in sports apparently, and he's uh, and he was like importing wine for a while um and and all this crazy stuff so they were hitting it off uh i was watching the game being sad and uh and the attractive woman next to me was not having it um so uh i'm not going back there the pizza was really good but the uh <laughs> the ambiance was not really what i needed um for watching a basketball game so so it was uh, a pizza. i'm gonna blame the pizza joint on our on our loss last you, night you can do that you can do that uh, it was a pizza, a pizza joint in englewood colorado um that was the source of all of our troubles last night so not to worry i won't be going back uh, I have learned my lesson. I will find somewhere um, that is a little bit more my style next time. Oh, before we leave, I want to I, w- I want to leave you guys with one last thing. Uh, we talked about how I'm going to the Georgia Tech game uh, next week, and and for those of you out there, Jason and I have agreed we're gonna we're gonna try and do lunch while I'm down there, which will be great because uh, it's funny we've been talking for a year and a half, and I don't think we've actually ever met. So this will be the first time that I meet Jason. But mandate mandate. Mandate. So not not to leave Sam out, Sam, I want to let you know that at the end of February, I will be in Denver. So Uh-oh. you've come to you've we have done a couple podcasts on my couch. So there might be an opportunity for me to do a podcast on your couch. All right. Well, we're going to have to uh, figure that out. I'm excited. And we'll grab and we'll definitely grab beers before that, too. So there will be many beers. You're coming to uh, to the beer capital of the country. Sorry, Portland, Oregon. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's going to go down. So yes, I in, in one month the three DBR podcast hosts will all see each other. It just may not be all of us at the same time, but we will all see each other. And I've still never met Jason, and probably never will. <laughs> no, no, it'll happen. It's gonna. Happen. We're gonna meet at the Final Four this year. That's right. Yep. Okay, sure. Um, <laughs> that's I, that's I, a positive you know note. That is we'll a let, positive we'll note. Another, we got to leave it there. Jason, we got we gotta be done. Jason, positive. Donald will see you at the end of the month. Jason, I'll see you in April. Um, so for Jason Evans and Donald Wine, I am Sam Klein. This has been the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Uh, go check out the forums at, at uh, forums.dukebasketballreport.com. 
Um, you can read all the threads. I don't necessarily. And we will talk to you next time. Duke Van, take us home.